Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm joined today by Todd Popovich, who is a recovering heroin addict and a participant in what's been referred to as Vermont's radical experiment to break the addiction cycle. So, Todd, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You were interviewed by Jennifer Lovitz, who is a Wall Street Journal reporter, in a report about a special program run by Vermont's top law enforcement agency. So before we get into that story, let's talk about what brought you down the road of addiction, Todd. Oh, man, it, it's it's hard to pick any one thing, you know. I uh, I grew up normal, you know. I had a mom and a stepdad, and, you know, my dad wasn't really around. And, uh, you know, I had a normal childhood. And then uh, when, I was, uh, when I was 15, um, my mom was taken, and uh, I feel as though that's probably where it started. You know, my mom was hit by a car walking down the street, holding hands with my sister, basically right in front of our house one day. And um, I, I just, I think that that, you know, not to make excuses, but I feel like if I was to put a finger on it, that would be, that would be the one instance that got me to where I ended up. You know, that and then just life in general, you know, felt like I wasn't getting a fair shake, always feeling sorry for myself. You know, that was my excuse. You know, well, my mom was killed right in front of me. Yeah, so tragic. I get high. That's your you story know, is I, tragic. I was justifying my actions. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that was the first the first piece of the puzzle. And just, you know, years later, um, I was, I guess you could still even say a late bloomer. I didn't smoke weed till I was a junior in high school. And you're what, 17 when you're in high school? And then uh, after that, I just, that was my way to get away from all the pain I felt because I didn't know how to deal with it. So what do you do when you don't know how to deal with something? You compartmentalize, you throw it in a box and you hide it. And just sooner or later, that box fills up. And and then when it just bursts open, you're in over your head. And that's that's exactly where I found myself. I started smoking weed and they say that's a gateway drug I don't know that's you know that's up for debate I started with prescription drugs and you know cocaine and things like that 
And uh, just like anything else, you know, it just wasn't enough, wasn't enough. And then uh, the drug, the prescription drugs I was doing at the time, pretty much all in one day disappeared. So that left me a full-blown drug addict with no drug of choice. So I was stuck all, Todd, trying to find the next best thing. Todd, let me jump in here. All sure. in one day disappeared. So you mean your sources dried up? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because I was doing OC80s and at the time. And then literally just within a couple of days, um, all the OCs dried up. You know, they changed them to what they call OPs instead of OCs, which means you can't you can't sniff them, you can't shoot them, you can only take them. And as a drug addict, you don't want to take drugs that you're supposed to take them. Can you describe? Silly. Yeah, can you describe for us what's an OC and an OP? Uh, oxy, oxycotton, you know, hillbilly heroin, and uh, when those came out, you know, they got twenties, forties. 60s, 80s, 120s, you know, and once I found those, I I was in love. So that's milligrams. Okay, 20, 40, 60, 80 milligram, right? Milligram pills, yes, sir. Yeah, okay. Yes, sir. And then um, our community, like, and everybody across the world realized that OCs are, you know, starting a really big problem. So they tried to nip that in the bud. They created a new pill that was called an OP which was supposed to prevent drug addicts from breaking them down so that you couldn't, you couldn't abuse them. You couldn't shoot them. You couldn't sniff them. The only way that you could take an OP was just pop it in your mouth. And nobody wants to do that, you know. Drug addicts want to shoot their drugs. Drug addicts want to sniff their drugs. They want to smoke it. They don't want to just put it in their mouth and take it like you're supposed to because it's not the same. It's not the desired effect. So once that happened... Uh, my drug of choice was gone, and the next best thing I could find from there was uh, Perk 30s, Percocet 30s. Some people call them Roxacets or whatever you want to call them. And that those are 30-milligram pills that I'd have to take two or three of those to get me where I needed to go. You know, when I could just take one, I could do 180 and get high. Now I have to do two or three Perk 30s at for $35, $40 a piece just to feel okay. And, um, you know, so I did that for a while. I got off. Um, I got engaged, you know, and I got the ultimatum from my fiance. You know, the drugs are me. So I, I chose her because I knew I didn't want to be using at that. You know, I was stuck. I was stuck in my addiction and I didn't know how to get out. So her ultimatum pushed me into a program that I was in for three years, you know, and things were really well. Three years. So you were yeah. uh, completely yep. clean for three years. Yeah, I was in a, I was in a Suboxone program here in Rutland, and it was the best three years of my life up until, you know, more recently. You know, I had jobs, I had money, I had a fiancé, a house, you know, like things are really good. But uh, the better I got in my recovery, the more insecure my fiancé got, which caused us to part ways inevitably. Why? And I don't get that. Why is that? It's, you know, I wish I could explain it a little little more, but when I met her, I was a full-blown drug addict. So she, she was a caretaker person in my life. You know, I needed her to get through the day. You know, I needed her car. I needed her 
bank account. You know, I needed her money so that I could get through the day. I needed to pay my phone bill, you know, all these things. And she was there for that, you know, when I took advantage of that. And um, once I got out and I got into that program, she she was running out of things to fix. You know, she was a fixer. She was trying to save my life. And she did just that. She did save my life. And once I wasn't such a big project anymore, she didn't know what to do with me. You know, she didn't know how to stay an important part of my life because I didn't need her like I needed her when we first met. And that caused her to be insecure. And we just ended up parting ways because she was, it just wasn't working out anymore. So we, we parted ways and I ended up going back to using. Wow. And, uh, that's, After that three was when years. I started getting into the heroin. Hmm. After three years of being clean. Wow. That's, that's tragic. So, so you know, uh, how old were you then and what year was that, that you got into heroin? Oh man. Um, believe it or not, I only did heroin for maybe a year, year and a half. But in that amount of time, the progression is unlike anything I've ever seen. You know, heroin takes you from zero to 100 real quick, like real quick. You know, you can start off with a couple bags a day and you can make it through a day on two or three bags if, you know, in the beginning. But the, the progression and the acceleration that you experience, you know, within a month or two, you know, now you're sniffing five, six, seven, eight bags a day just to get through the day. And then, as I said, progression, you know, once that's not working, you know, your next stop is to be shooting dope. And then it starts over because now once you start shooting dope, you can shoot one or two bags and be good for the day. And it's just the same thing over again. You're just doing it a different way. So it's affecting you differently in the beginning and then your tolerance grows and by the end I was shooting 15 to 20 bags all in one shot and people are out there dying from shooting one bag of dope you know I had I wasn't too concerned with saving my own life at that point and uh it just it just spun right out of control wow it seemed like I was trying to put myself out of my misery 15 and, uh, to 20 and, bags. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, man. It, I'm a different kind of animal when it comes to drugs. Most people would never do that. But I could never get high enough. I could never escape far enough. Mm. You know, and I, when I was doing it, like, I wasn't concerned about overdosing. You know, because I, you know, I'd been down a road where, I knew that the chances of this killing me were pretty good, and I'd still do it anyways. Why? You know, just because I didn't really care. You know, I didn't really care. All I cared about was not being sick, and that, that was about it. I didn't really have any reason to, didn't have any reason to want to save my own life. So, you know... Finally, you got busted twice in eight days for heroin possession, and you were facing two years in prison. So what happened next? Yes, well, what's crazy is I'm 36. You know, I've been dealing in drugs for almost 15 years. And um, to get caught in two day, it, or twice inside of eight days, um, 
you know, I started to feel like that was a sign. And at this point, my sister had already OD'd and passed, you know, because um, I had just gotten out of rehab. I was clean for three weeks and then found out my sister had died. And boom, you know, instead of like solidifying my stance to stay clean, that just knocked me off my horse and I went right back to using, <clears throat> which lasted only a couple months this time. And, uh, I just, I saw what it did to my family, you know, I know how it felt. My sister and I were really close because of the tragedies we'd been through when we were younger, you know, so for her to go and then for me to get caught twice in eight days, like to me, that was a sign that I needed to, you know, I needed to get my shit out, get, get it together, you know, cause I wouldn't, I'm not going to jail, you know, so it was either, it was either jail or I was going to be in a bag and I saw what that did to my family and I didn't want to cause them any more pain. My family suffered a lot. You know, we've experienced quite a bit of loss and I just, I didn't want to do that to them. And I, for some reason I decided that I did want to live. And so I, um, I stopped using heroin. I was buying Suboxone on the street and I did that for about two months before I, was able to uh, find a doctor that I could get into that could prescribe me um, Suboxone, which I'm on now. The two arrests, um, that was a big deal as well. Um, that's when I met Ellen. She had called me and told me I qualified for a, for a special program that if I complete that program, my, those charges won't be on my, on my criminal history, which I don't really have a criminal history. So to me, that's a big deal. Um, so it's that hard w- to get a job or an apartment with a heroin charge, sure. whether it be misdemeanor or not. People see the word heroin and you're hit. Sure. So let's talk about you know? that. How did that come about? So here you are. You're busted twice in eight days. You know, the, yep. the uh, consequences of this are huge and life-changing yep. and along with everything else. Um, and, and so someone reaches out to you just out of the blue. Ellen does. Yeah, um, that's exactly and, how it happened, too. She just called out of the blue and asked me if I wanted to have these heroin charges on my on my record for the rest of my life. And I, well, obviously, I told her no just because I knew how difficult that would make my life. Ellen, the, the reference to Ellen, this is Ellen Wicklum who is a liaison to the Vermont Attorney General's office. And she reached out to uh, Todd uh, offering this special program. Well, she had called and offered me an opportunity to knock these charges off my record, and I jumped at it. You know, she made the offer, and I told her I was willing to do whatever it was that I needed to do to to help that happen. And um, she had sent me a contract that uh, had a checklist of things that I needed to do um, while I was in this program for six months. I needed to have uh, steady employment. I needed to have a residence. Um, I needed to be in contact with a doctor, taking UAs. Um, I have to do 20 hours of community service. And um, I end my program, I think, the 23rd of this month. So... I'm working on my community service now, and when I finish up, there'll be nothing on my on my record, and I'll be on the on the path to keeping my life out of a out of the morgue, I guess 
because that's the only other that's the only other place I'm going to end up, you know. And uh, Ellen was a blessing because I didn't deserve, you know, I didn't deserve a rescue, but yet Ellen offered me a lifeline to save myself, and I've done it. And when I started the program, I was already doing everything on the checklist that she wanted me to do, which was kind of weird for her because she says normally it's hard to get people to do the stuff that's on the checklist. And I was already doing everything on the checklist aside from my community service by the time they already, by the time they offered me the deal. So once I found out I was already doing everything, it was, it just, it got easier because I realized that, yeah, I could do this. I'm already doing it, you know? So just adding Ellen to my equation just provided me a little more <clears throat> uh, structure. And for myself, structure is a good thing. Might not always like it, but structure and routine are what keep me on the path I'm on. And I wouldn't be here without, without Ellen. And I couldn't be more grateful for whatever sequence of events led her to me. And David Cahill um, is the, uh, the DA in Ellen's district. Mr. Cahill had given her my file and told her, you know, this is a guy that's trapped. You know, my record shows that I'm, I've been in recovery situations more than I've not been. You know, I've been trying to save myself and just haven't, I just keep failing. You know, and he saw that by looking at my records that, you know, like, I want out. Like, I don't want to die a junkie. And uh, for whatever reason, he chose my case and gave it to Ellen, and here we are now. Like, I'm doing better than I've ever done. I got my own place. I got a full-time job. I got a car, a motorcycle. I got money in the bank. You know, I'm back with my family. And... I just, I'm trying to help people because I didn't know how to get the help I needed. I didn't know how to ask. I didn't know who to look to, you know, and Ellen just popping up in my life. I honestly believe that she saved my life. Again, somebody swooping in to save me. And I just, I don't want to, I don't want to mess that up. You know, they took a chance on me and I just don't want to disappoint them. I've done plenty of disappointing people in my life and I don't want to do that anymore. So what advice would you have for others out there who are struggling with opioid uh, dependence? And uh, my advice to them would just be, you know, it's not hopeless. It's not. Like, you can get out. If somebody like myself can get out of the hole that I was in, you know, I think you're hard-pressed to find somebody that couldn't. You know, just there's people out there that want to help you. You know, you just have to be brave enough to ask for that help and it's there you know people don't want you to die a junkie you know and somebody like Ellen you know unfortunately it took me getting in trouble for Ellen to cross my path but I wouldn't change a thing so you're I'm here now I'm still alive and I'm I'm thriving right now things have never been better and that's all because I just I just wanted to save myself, you know, if you have any, any shred, you know, that you, of concern for yourself, you know, you can be saved, you can be helped, people want to help you, you just got to be brave enough to, to make that step, and it's hard, 
don't misunderstand, like, getting off drugs is hard, especially heroin. Once you do it that first time, you're, you're hooked. You're a lifer. And uh, this is a fight I'm going to have on my hands for the rest of my life. But because of what I've learned in the past year and the people that I've met, like, I've got a chance. You know, even when my program ends and, you know, Ellen's structuring falls away, you know, I feel like I have a chance. And that's something I never felt before. You know, I always felt like a, a hopeless dope fiend, you know. Now I'm a, now I'm a, I'm a dopeless hope fiend. You know, I just want to live. I want to help people. I want to show them that you can get out. I've probably lost seven people that I care about in the past year to drugs, my sister being included. And uh, just to see the pain and the suffering that families go through, you know, if there's anything I can do to help these families or these people before they have to go through the loss of, you know, burying a child, a brother, a mother, a father, you know, that's what I'm doing. That's the only reason that I did that article or I'm doing this interview now is if there's one person that hears this and, you know, thinks that maybe, Hey, if this fucking guy can, can get his stuff together, you know, maybe I can too. And that's, that's all. I just want to give somebody a seed of hope and that might be enough to save their lives. Not everybody's going to take that seed, but if one person does, it's worth it to me. I want to ask you about several aspects of recovery, and maybe you can share with our listeners how important these things are to you in your plan. How about, um, and, and maybe, maybe you want to do it a relative importance, however you want to grade it, but how about as far as a recovery coach is concerned? Do you have a coach, and is that important to you? Do I? Well, I believe when you say coach, we call them sponsors, and I do. I have I have people in my life, I call them my counsel. Um, it's just, you know, I've been able to figure out who really cares about me. You know, I have a few friends that really care, and my family has been incredible through this whole thing, you know. My family's kind of popular in the town I live from, in the town that we live in, and, you know, I disgrace them, I embarrass them, and yet they didn't give up on me. You know, and now those those are the people that, you know, when I have big decisions or I have a rough day and, you know, I'm feeling kind of shitty, like I have people that I can call and talk to and tell them what I'm thinking, you know, because most days I don't think about getting high anymore, not even at all. But some days, you know, if I have a really bad day, it's like, man, this wouldn't be so bad if I was high, you know, and when those thoughts cross my mind, like I call Ellen. You know, I call my doctor, I call my auntie, I call my best friend, you know, and those, those are the people that care about me and want to see me, they want to see me survive. So I call them and I tell them my thought process and we talk about it and they kind of, they help me talk myself off the ledge because me being who I am, nobody's going to tell me anything. I'm a stubborn jerk like that, but I've learned that that's what got me in this situation, you know, not listening to nobody because I knew drugs were bad when I did it and I still did it, you know, so being able to have those people remain in my life and still actually care enough to answer my phone call at three in the morning when, you know, I'm on the edge, you know, those people will now answer the phone and 
talk me off that ledge before I do something crazy. So because speak to the no families. Next, there is no next stop for me. My next stop is a bag. Um, speak to the families out there that have a loved one who's struggling with heroin addiction. What do they need to know about the disease and what do they need to know to best support their loved one? If they, you know, if they are truly concerned and really want to help, you know, the people that they care about, you've got to know what kind of monster you're dealing with. My family in particular had no idea anything about addiction or drugs. They had no idea what it meant to be a drug addict, you know, because the people in my, my family in my life now have never had to really deal with addiction. Alcoholism is one thing, but drug addiction is something totally different. And just, just learn as much as you can. My auntie now didn't know much when all this started, but now I can call her and I can talk to her and she understands a little bit better, you know, and she can... She can offer different insights now instead of just, well, if you just stop doing drugs, well, it's not that easy. You can't just stop like that sometimes. How did she learn? She wanted to. You know, there's Al-Anon meetings for parents of drug-addicted kids, you know, and there's, there's ways that you can learn how to help your loved ones. You know, you can go online. You can call counselors. You can... You just got to know the monster you're dealing with to the best of your ability. And my auntie put in that effort just to be able to, to help me when I need it. And that has been invaluable to me, you know, because before when I was struggling or something and I'd call her for support, like she wouldn't know what to say to me. And oftentimes she would say the wrong thing. Like what? Know? And that would just. Give me an example. Wanna, I don't want to say ignorant is the right word, but she just didn't know what to say to me. You know, when I was calling her, she didn't know how to respond to what I was going through. So she would just go with her gut and say what came to mind. And because of her lack of knowledge about addiction and drugs, like it oftentimes was not helpful and, you know, sometimes was hurtful, which just pushed me further in, you know, but... I started making the effort to get out, and she started making an effort to understand what it was that I was going through. And that makes a big difference on a daily basis. And, you know, for the people listening, you know, if you have somebody that's struggling, just just know the war you're fighting, you know. Know your enemy and learn as much as you can. Make calls, call people. There's people out there that know more than me, more than my counsel. You know, and if you really want to help your loved ones, you just need to try to understand to the best of your ability what it is they're going through. And once you do that, you know, just the fact that my auntie made that effort, you know, meant the world to me. Just that act in, in itself, you know, the fact that she wanted to learn how to help me, you know, meant a lot. And it has. It really has. My auntie's been there, you know, through it all. And now she's standing, you know, she's standing tall because she's got a clue about what's going on. And, you know, leading up to my sister's OD, like, she didn't want to see me pass, you know. So she tried to learn as whatever she could that might be able to help me. And for that, I'm grateful, you know, because some parents don't, you know. 
I hate to say it, but some people just write off, you know, their kids because they're drug addicts, you know, because we do terrible things. You know, we hurt the ones we love first. And, you know, if you, if you, if you want to help your loved ones, you just got to, you got to hang in there. You know, there's a fine line between helping and hurting. You know, you don't want to enable, but also you just got to know what you're dealing with. You know, ignorance is not bliss in this scenario because you will lose your loved one if you don't, if you don't know how to help them, you know, and just making the effort a lot of times says enough to somebody like me, you know, she made the effort, you know, and that was enough for me. And now we have such a great, strong relationship. Unfortunately, because of everything we've been through together has brought us, you know, brought us to a point where... You know, she wants to help me, and I want her to understand what it is that I'm dealing with. And we just, we're, we're fighting this battle together. You know, I'm not alone. And a lot of addicts, I know from experience, you know, we feel like nobody understands what it is that we're going through. We're all unique, but we're not. A drug addict is a drug addict. Whether you shoot it, sniff it, smoke it, it don't matter. You know, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to escape something. And when you, when you have people that care about you and want to see you win this battle, you know, it makes it a lot easier. It makes you feel like somebody's rooting for you. And that goes a long way. You know, that goes a long way. Well, Todd, I really want to thank you for taking the time today to share with us your story, your unique and and incredible story. Do you have any last uh, advice for our listeners? You know, if there was a message that I could give to somebody out there actively using right now, you know, just just know that there's hope, you know. This, it doesn't have to be your life. If you want to change your life, you can. There's ways to do it. There's help. You know, just don't give up on yourself. You're worth fighting for, you know. Every life is worth fighting for, no matter the tragedies or the hardships you've suffered. I've had my fair share, and I still want to live. You know, most people out there haven't been through what I've been through. So, I mean, it's fixable. It's not too late. You know, you can you can break the cycle. You know, you can save your own life if you really want to. That's what it comes down to. You got to want to do it for yourself. Well, again, thank you, Todd. We've uh, we've been visiting today with Todd Popovich from Rutland, Vermont who is a resident with first-hand knowledge of the illicit drug trade in the area and a a recovering heroin addict. He is just about to graduate from a a unique program that the DA crafted in uh, in Vermont there, um, where he's traded in his charges uh, in exchange for a six-month program to get clean. And on the 23rd of February, he'll graduate and he'll be on to a new life. So uh, once again, Todd, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. This is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening.
Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.